Our Father, we do want to thank you for uh, the amazing uh, truth that when we get the Bible right, we understand it's all about your action rather than ours. And we pray that we'll be able to learn such good news in these next five weeks. And we pray that you please help us, especially today in a hot day, to concentrate well. And we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Short and sweet. And essentially what I read to you is the message of the whole Bible. We're going to see that over the next five weeks. But we'll first pause there. Uh, our children are going to go off to their group. Uh, not in the blue room this time. Uh, but uh, into a different room. Uh, and uh, Natalie is going to take our children there. So off you go. Right, well, welcome to our overview of the Bible. I want to ask you, has anyone been in a helicopter here? Anyone travelled by helicopter? Just one. You haven't lived. Uh, I tell you, helicopters are brilliant. I think I know the kind of helicopter that Charles has travelled in. And... Uh, I've had to uh, go in the same ones too. When we in the army, I didn't. Do you have to do this? They dropped a rope, so that you didn't. Have, they didn't get you down before you climbed out. You had to. They 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 stayed up in the air, and you had to climb all the way down with every, everything your rifle and everything else. And we, two of us were in the army, so we had to do things like that. For most people, though, a helicopter is not scary. You get up, and you get nice and high, and you see everything for miles. And so what I'm asking you to do is to climb into a helicopter and we go flying over the Bible. Now, last week, if you were here, we finished one little part of the Bible called Romans. And you know what? It took us 24 weeks to do Romans. That's tractor travel. But helicopter flights will take us over the whole Bible in just five weeks. And so that's what we're going to be doing on these Sundays. And I imagine probably before we start, I need to persuade you two things. Why is it important that we do that? And secondly, why is it interesting that we do that? That's important as well. But why is it important first? Well, I think one of the reasons why it's important is because if I can get um, one of the reasons why it's important to do that uh, is because, huh, um, well, a lot of people, some religions and mainly non-Christians, think that life goes round in a circle, round and round. You're born, you have kids, you die, and the kids that are born, they have kids and they die, and it's the circle of life. Yes? That's how most people think. But the Bible says, if you want to understand how life works, think of a straight line, which has a start and a finish. And the world has a life like that. Start and a finish. And it's really important that we get to understand that because Ultimately, if only the devil could get us to forget where we've come from and to forget where we're going, all we've got is this little bubble that we're living in now that goes round and round. We only live for the present. If we haven't got a past, we haven't got a future. So, it's a bit like going round and round the M25, which is a motorway that goes around London. And all you do is you go round and round and round until the car stops. And all you do is to concentrate on the next stretch of road that you're driving on. 
And okay, while you're driving, you might say there's a point to the driving that you're kind to the other motorists on either side of you and you get on well in, with the people in the car with you. But generally, all you're doing is just looking to the next corner and keeping it very short term. But the Bible says, no, life isn't like that. It's much more exciting. A life like that that goes round and round and round has no purpose apart from just getting to the next corner. But a life that has a start and a finish, now you're on a journey. That's going to be far more exciting to be part of. And that's what the Bible tells us the world is. It's on a journey and we're going to find out about that journey today. Why is it interesting? That's why it's important. Why is it interesting? It's interesting because the whole Bible is just one story. It's a story about how God made the world and uh, it's uh, uh, a paradise to live in that world that God made right at the start. And for that paradise that God made, he had special people living there called Adam and Eve. Now, I know people might say you can't believe any of that because we believe in evolution. Actually, hang on to that thought because even evolution has to have at some point a prototype human couple. And the Bible tells us there were God's special people, names Adam and Eve. And these special people were made to live in that special place that God made under his rule and his blessing. So by trusting what he said, they would live under his rule and it would be a marvellous life of blessing. So the Bible, little picture of the start, is a bit like that. God's special people in God's special place living under his rule and blessing. It was brilliant. It was paradise. They had everything given to them. And they just simply had to trust what God said. To stay close to him. In friendship with him. And that's why God gave them a tree in that garden. It wasn't an apple tree. Uh, forget all of that. Okay? It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's that about? simple. Working out what was good and evil was God's job. So when he says don't eat that tree, God's really saying don't try and do my job. Trust me to know what is good and what is evil. Just trust what I say. And while they did that, it was wonderful. They had a close relationship with God. They were in God's kingdom, there were God's special people in God's special place, living under his rule and his blessing. Trouble is, they didn't do that for long. And so what they did was they trusted the word of the devil. In the Garden of Eden, he is described as a serpent. Very interesting. Because what that tells you is that man is overcome not by a superior force, but by a creature that is actually less than him. But the one weapon in this creature's armory is that he knew how to tell believable lies. And so he told the lies and people believed and Adam and Eve ate the fruit. They trusted his word and everything fell apart. So you might say, ah, oh, well, that doesn't say much for God, does it? He has this brilliant plan, it all disappears in chapter 3. All fall apart. What's the point of that? The point of it is this. That God's big plan was not just to tell us that he could make a perfect, fantastic world. God's big plan 
was to introduce us to his perfect, fantastic son. And so very interesting, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the first thing they're told, if you look at Genesis chapter 3, and um, just flip over the page to page 3, Genesis chapter 3, page 3, in verse uh, 15, God says, after Adam and Eve had uh, listened to the devil, I will put enmity between you and the woman, he's talking to the devil now, and between your offspring and her offspring, and, notice this, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The first reference to Jesus in the Bible. Way back before he turned up much later. What the devil is being told is one of Eve's children, singular, he, one of Eve's children will come and one day crush his head and he will bruise his heel but not kill him. He will come to life but he will crush his head. The serpent crusher will come from Eve's children, one of them. And that was uh, really uh, great because what the Bible tells us is that although God had this kingdom at the start where God's people lived in his special place under him as their king, but they lost that place because they disobeyed. But the Bible tells us that at the end of the Bible, God will take these people back into that place that they lost only with Jesus as their king. So the last book of the Bible, this time uh, uh, it's the last book. I'll tell you what, you don't even have to look at it. I'll make it easy. It's a hot day. There it is on the screen. Revelation chapter 21, verses 20, uh, 21 to 23, uh, 24, 23, 24. Um, and the last book of the Bible says that they are going to be drawn together in a city this time, not a garden, because there's going to be lots of people living closely with each other in, in, in community. And they won't need the sun and the moon to shine it, for the glory of God gives it its light and its lamb, and the lamb that's a common name for Jesus in the Bible. I'll tell you why in a minute. Is its lamp. And the nations will walk by his light. And the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. So you're back in the kingdom that was lost way at the very beginning. And the Bible is one story that tells you how God created this kingdom and man lost it. But God will, over the years, work to bring people back into what they lost at the end. That's the one story of the Bible, the one story of the kingdom of God. But to understand that one story, I need to tell you a war story. Okay? And we're going back to the Second World War, only uh, Dorothy and uh, uh, Kay possibly and Verona will remember this. Uh, but, uh, <coughs> but what happened was Germany uh, was uh, fighting uh, Britain and it, its allies in the Second World War. And, um, uh, you know, it's just sort of, um, <coughs> they, they, they love to do that, they always lost. Uh, but uh, that's why we, we sort of sing our kind of famous uh, football chant two world wars and one world cup <laughs> um, so anyway um, Germany they had these industrial factories and they hid them well because they built them under the protection of mountains so that no one could bomb the factories from the air the mountains covered them but above the level of the factories was a huge dam called the Mona Dam and the plan was if only they could 
break the wall of the dam, the water would fall down and drown the factories. Great plan. One problem. Can you tell me? Can you see how narrow the dam wall is? How do you bomb that? So they thought, well, we can't bomb the dam itself, but if only we can hit the wall on the side, that'll break it. But how do you hit the wall on the side? That was the question in the mind of a British scientist engineer called Barnes Wallace. As he was walking on the beach in Brighton, he saw little boys doing what little boys do best, which is to skim, skim stones in the water. Uh, every little boy here has done that, um, except uh, for Charles, who was born big. Okay, <laughs> but uh, but 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 that's what little boys do, and he got an idea. He went back home, and if you watch the film, it's a great film actually, The Dam Busters. Uh, in the film, he made a whole hangar and he built a great tank of water in the hangar and he fired golf balls to hit the wall. But actually what happened, if you look in the Imperial War Museum in London, which is where you can find this information if you want it, it's true, he had a bathtub in his garden and he bounced marbles across the water and he worked out if the marble was so heavy and traveled at a certain speed, it would bounce and then hit the tank, the, the, the bathtub wall at the end. And so he made a bouncing bomb. And what they did was they flew across the, 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 um, the, 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 the water just over the surface on, at night time over the midnight of the 16th and the 17th of May 1943. And they dropped what, you can see one there, what was a roly-poly bouncing barrel bomb. And it hit the side of the wall. And five bombs. And the water, the wall broke. And the water gushed down. And the factories were destroyed. And did you understand that story? good. I put a lot of effort into it. It would have been a big discouragement if you shook your head at that point. Now you understand how the Bible is in two parts. There's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament. And that story has now cleared out all the, the problems. I'll tell you why. Because in this story, in the true story, before the real thing happened, there was a little model built in the garden, yes? And when you got to understand the working model, you then got to understand the real thing, how that would work, yes? Right. Well, the Old Testament is, if you like, God making a working model of what he is going to do later. And so what the Bible uh, tells you is that um, uh, you uh, have a working model to understand the whole Old Testament. First, God made a special people. They can't be called the people of Israel. And his special people were going to live in a special place no longer the Garden of Eden at the start of the Bible, they were going to live in a, a place called Canaan and they would be ruled as God's representative by a special king and ultimately we will see next week his name is David and so that's what God is going to do he has to do that because after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, if you look back at, you were there, chapter 3, I think the last time we looked. Well, if you look at the, what's happening now, after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, people are being born and they die. They're born and they die. They're, they're born and they die. So if you look at chapter 5 and verse 5, you will see how, this is page 4, 
the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died and then you get this list of other people who are born and they die it's almost like the Bible is going to say hey the next name is he the serpent crusher no he was born he died what about next name is he the serpent crusher no he was born he died what about next one was he the no he was born he died and it was a horrible horrible world to live in people were killing each other they were proud they built the Tower of Babel thinking they could get themselves up to God oh, they were just getting it wrong day after day and so ultimately God destroyed the world with a flood and Noah uh, and uh, his boat survived the flood and then then in Genesis chapter 12 the bit that we read at the start God made a new beginning he started building the model and the first person in the model was a man called Abraham and he was going to be the start of God's special people and so God makes a promise to Abraham in chapter 12 verse 1 I will make you a great nation sorry verse 2 only problem is that Abraham was too old to have kids and his wife was too old to have kids but when God says that something's going to happen, it doesn't depend on us being strong and able to deliver. We can be weak, we can be useless. God does it. Abraham has one miracle son called Isaac. See, what God did was he spoke to Abraham when he was in a place called Ur. Um, <clears throat> And you say, Ur? No, no, Ur is the place. And he, he, was, he, he spoke to a place called Ur. And he told him to leave his, his family in Genesis 12 and go all the way to this special place, the land of Canaan. And while he was living there, he had this miracle son called Isaac. And Isaac had two sons twins Jacob and Esau look forget Esau just stick with Jacob because Jacob broke all the family records he had 12 sons and <clears throat> each of them each of those 12 boys started one of the tribes of Israel so there were 12 tribes of Israel from these 12 sons and it was a rotten family right from the start always has been the people of Israel because what they did was they took one of the sons called Joseph and they sold him as a slave to Egypt but while he was a slave in Egypt there was a massive famine in the country and because Joseph was a very able man God gave him dreams to put in touch get him in touch with the king of Egypt he rose through the ranks and he became prime minister and uh, Abigail to the front Abigail to the front here yeah. uh, and so he became prime minister and he brought his family that had treated him so badly brought them into Egypt to look after them and to feed them so once again you have this little model picture of Jesus where he saves the family that wanted to kill him and Genesis really the whole of the first book of the Bible is about this family so it is very interesting you look at the the book of Genesis and you say well, that's where God made the world isn't it no 
God made the world and it went wrong. That's just the first 11 chapters. But after that, from chapter 12 to 50, is about God's special family. This is about God's special people. That's what this book is about. The first 11 chapters about how God made the world and it went wrong. But the main work is about this special family that God is putting together. Except now, they are in Egypt and they are beginning to grow. This little promise that God made to Abraham, who couldn't have kids, that he would make him a great nation, well, it kind of seems to be happening. So when you go to the second book of the Bible, and remember you got past 50 chapters of Genesis to get there, okay, Exodus chapter 1, second book of the Bible, and you see that when they came to Egypt in verse 5, chapter 1 verse 5, all the descendants of Jacob at that point were 70 persons. Yeah, it's a good number. But it's not a nation, is it? But then look, they bred like rabbits. And so in verse 7, the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So now, God's promise has been kept. He's got an exceedingly numerous people, so numerous, that the king of Egypt is now getting threatened by their numbers. Hey, he likes a nice workforce, don't get me wrong, but he doesn't want the workforce to take over his country and take it from him. So he starts killing people, and the male children particularly, amongst the people of Israel to keep the numbers down and they cried out to God and this was God's time to take them to their new place and so he was going to take them to the country that uh, he promised Abraham that he would give and it all happened on one action-packed night God said to everybody in the country or that in every home in the country the firstborn son in every house would die and then he said but here is how to live take into your house a little lamb and take it into the house and live with the lamb in your house for a number of days as if he was your son but then on this special night, you would kill the lamb and put the blood on the doorposts of the house. And when the angel of death went over the land of Egypt, in every home where there was no blood, the firstborn child would die. Firstborn son. But in the, in the, in the homes where there was blood over the doorposts and death had already happened, in those houses there was no more death. The firstborn son lived. Part of the model, God showing how a substitute <coughs> could die so a person could live. And after that night they left Egypt and they travelled down from Egypt, from the land of Ramesses where they were, and they went down uh, to Mount Sinai. There's two possible places where Mount Sinai could be there or there. We're going to work on, on that place. And what God did when he took them to Mount Sinai was they had a kind of marriage encounter with God. Where God spoke to them and he spoke to them with words that actually sound very much like a marriage. He made a promise to them, a covenant with them. I will be your God and you will be my people. And the whole point of that marriage covenant was so that all the watching nations of the world would look at this special people and say, your God looks after you so well, I wish I had a God like you and want to be part of that blessing. And like in the Adam and Eve story, God gave them not a tree, but words 
to trust and live by. They were called the Ten Commandments because he wanted to show people that when you trust God and you follow his lead, trusting what he says, life will bring great blessing. And so, for example, in the Seventh Commandment, don't commit adultery. Why? If you want a happy marriage, just love your wife and the blessings of unity and uh, closeness will be yours. It won't be there if you commit adultery. Then you go down the way of cursing and you find it's awful. And so he helped them to understand that uh, to live trusting what he said would open up doors of blessing for them. And so it is uh, part of God's plan to help people to see that trusting what he said would be blessing to their lives. And so Exodus is about how God and his family are now in almost a marriage relationship with each other. And to make it look like a marriage, God actually lived with his people. So he got them to make a tent, or it's called a tabernacle. And he lived as the tabernacle moved, so God, as it were, moved with them. There was a, a, a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of cloud by day, so people could see, ah, oh, God is with us. He is traveling with us. And again, you see, it's a little model, it's a little pointer, because when Jesus comes on later, John, who, wrote, who writes John's Gospel, says, And the Word became flesh, God became flesh, and lived among us, is how the English word translation, but if you look at the Greek, it says, God made flesh and tabernacled among us. God would do what, would do in Jesus what God did with that tent, travelled with his people, lived amongst them. Wonderful second book, as God does that special bonding with his people. And the third book, which is called Leviticus, is about how God's people can look like God's people and live like God's people. So, they were to dress in a certain way, so that... <clears throat> um, I mustn't think thoughts like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, our helicopter isn't as noisy. Um, so, they would dress in a different way, so you could spot uh, one of uh, uh, the people of Israel from a hundred meters because they just looked different and they ate different. They had different food. They couldn't eat certain things. Leviticus tells them how to be like God's special people, but they were to be like God's special people in one very big special way, and that is there in Leviticus chapter 19. So page 97, page 97, we're moving on, and you see what God really wants with his people is for them to be just like him. So that in Leviticus, in, in Leviticus chapter 19, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You should be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And you think, oh, uh, what does it mean to be holy? The answer is, in the area of relationships. So you look at the next verse, verse 3, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. You keep my Sabbaths. Don't turn to idols. Look after the poor people. Um, uh, in uh, verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right to its edge, Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. No, you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you uh, gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. In other words, to be holy like God is to be like him in his, the way he relates and cares for people. God says, I want a special people that look like me in the way they love and relate and care for people. 
And so the third book is there for them to understand uh, how to be like God himself. And then uh, the fourth book is about uh, is, 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 Levit- is Numbers and essentially uh, what's uh, happening here is that um, uh, God's people are marched to the edge of the new country that they're going to live in. So they end up there. Oh, sorry. Uh, yes, let me, I've got, I've got to tell you this. Let me tell you this now. Okay. As well as telling people how to be like God in Leviticus, he understood that his people were not very good at living like him. So what he did was he gave them a sacrificial system, rather like the time that they had in Egypt where a lamb would die for a person to live. Like that, God had a sacrificial system where when you failed God, you could offer a sacrifice as a way of finding God's forgiveness. Because it really said, this lamb has died instead of me, or this bull has died instead of me please forgive me that I might live because this sacrifice has died in my place and so the book of Leviticus tells us how these sacrifices will keep people close to God because they don't die a substitute dies and many many sacrifices because many many sins and they long for the day when there would be one sacrifice that would cover all their sin but we're still in the model we're still in the bathtub with the marbles we haven't got there yet we're just being trained to think the way the model will work in real life then we get to um, uh, numbers and what happens with numbers is that God's people are marched to the edge of the new country that they're going to go and live in. And God says to them, look, uh, here we are. All the numbers of the tribes of people who are there are named, so the numbers come from there. And then God says, okay, there's the country. Go, live in it. Take it over. I'll be there. I'll go in front of you. You will get everything, this land that you walk into. But they get cold feet. They don't want to do it. They say, hey, those guys are big. Seriously, I'm not going to go and take them on. If I go into their country and make that my home, I get stuffed. No way. And so what God did was he took them on a little circuit. They'd spent 40 years pretty much thereabouts getting used to their sacrificial system and everything else and then they're taken to the edge of the promised land but they won't go in so they are taken on a circuit and over the next 40 years that senior generation of people who doubted God all die except for two people who trusted God who said let's go and do this we can God has promised us we trust his promise but God let them live but all the other generation died and their new uh, um, generation are drawn in and brought back to the new country to start all over again and so you get the fifth book of the Bible called Deuteronomy Uh, it's a long word isn't it and It just simply means two, because deutero is two, and nomos is law, so it's the second law, literally. What happens is because they are now a new generation, Moses, if you like, has a restart. And he gives them God's commandments for the second time in another way of saying, look, trust God's word. You new generation, trust God. God's word and like uh, uh, dear Mr. Kane in the England football team before they go out on the pitch to play I suspect for one last time 
but uh, I would love to be proved wrong. Um, Charles is staring daggers at me as if I've jinxed the whole thing. But anyway, before the England team go out and play, the captain gets him in the change room and he gives him a pep talk. Okay, look, we're going to win this. Uh, we've done really well and we're going to go forward. Uh, we've got uh, a very able manager guiding us. Uh, look, guys, we've got everything to hope for. And so they take to the pitch with a spring in their step. And Moses is, is, is doing this in Deuteronomy. He, he gives his, his tribes a pep talk. Look, we've got this new country in front of us. And he gives them three things to do. He says in Deuteronomy, look back, look forward, look out. Look back because I want you to know that God is real. When he says something, he means it. And what you need to do whenever you have doubts in your mind about him, always look back because you can see that he always does what he says look back look forward look forward because he promised you a new country and it is going to be a fantastic country for real this is yours in Deuteronomy Moses described it as a land flowing with milk and honey in other words very very different to what they were experiencing at that moment in the wilderness in the desert this is a new life and look forward look forward it's coming but also look out look out because no 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 we're not, he's not saying look out for Satan look out for the devil no, he's not saying that Satan's just a, a, a creature right okay he is not a superior force no, look out for this thing. Look out for pride. Because when you go to the new country and you get everything that God has got to give you, then pride will enter your heart. You begin to think, actually, I did this all by myself. I don't need God anymore. And you start, well, you stop trusting what God says as the only way to live under his blessing. Why? Because you'd be fat on everything that you've got and therefore your heart will get proud and you won't need God to tell you what to do anymore. So Moses says, look back, look forward and look out. And they're on the edge and they go to the new country and it is going to, I tell you, this is where we get to the really exciting, action-packed, dynamic stage, okay? And I'm going to tell you, next week uh, what happens uh, at that, that point but this week let me tell you how this might affect us in important ways first if you're not someone who's used to going to church maybe all this is new to you and you're listening to this talk uh, uh, on a podcast or on our website then it's helpful to think isn't it true that generally the words that you've had in your ear all these years growing up is that actually you get more blessing in life if you didn't trust what God says but you actually work things out for yourself put God into a box and forget about him by and large and you find that uh, it's going to be a much better life for you if uh, that's uh, how you live. And you forget thinking that God is a close personal God who speaks to us. You'll end up thinking God's a bit vague. Yeah, I think I, I, think I, I believe in God, but I, don't ask me more than that to tell you what he's like. I wouldn't know. And generally, I think, if we cut ourselves off from where God made, made us and how his way is taking us, we are going to live with our present problems in our minds and we'll only be driving to the next corner and we won't understand that there is a real God in charge of our journey. And we need to understand 
that actually there is a real God and we need to understand that we can trust what he tells us so we live listening to what he tells us because we know that is the way God rules us and blesses us come into his special people don't stay outside be part of that group that has a future he has promised maybe you've been to church lots and lots you're different and you've had loads of church services but actually the problem is you've probably heard loads of sermons in your life but probably not really telling you the message of the Bible I think George did a really good job illustrating that at the start we can have what seems to be a shopping list you've got to do this and get this and pay for the ticket and buy the food and you've got to do everything that's what religion tells you you've got to do any religion in the world Islam Buddhism anything you've got to do the hard work get all the stuff in the right place but what you need to understand is there's a bigger story and a better story and when we open up the Bible and we begin to understand its story, we understand this is about God and what he does. It's his kingdom. And he will do things to make it happen. And we need to understand how through that big picture our blessing comes by trusting what he says, not by doing religious things like standing up and sitting down and singing hymns and all those kind of things that concentrate everything on one religious day of the week whereas the blessing comes when every day of the week we trust what God says and follow his voice what happens if you're uh, sorry I'm going ahead of myself um, uh, that's uh, what we need to understand uh, if we're new to all this there is a real God he speaks we need to trust him and then religion tells us uh, uh, a substitute gives us services rather than God's words to trust and we need to get back to understanding that the big picture of the Bible is a picture of what the Lord Jesus is like and in the Old Testament what we've seen today is how he begins to appear to help us to understand him in a model that is made way back before he is born and in that model we have the opportunity to understand that he is a God who loves us and even when we fail him he doesn't walk out he doesn't leave he provides a sacrifice he draws us back to himself we need to understand there is a God like that and who he is and we need to understand that uh, uh, when you belong to him you belong to his special people and you will have him yes it's not very clear is it it's, I, I picked the wrong green I think uh, yeah uh, you belong to his special people that's what it says and and that actually there are blessings to be part of that group however much the world may despise us and think that we're stupid and believe in invisible gods but the reality is that God has his special people it is a huge privilege to be drawn in to be part of them and then lastly remember Jesus is the serpent crusher in the end our confidence our hope in that new country in God's promised future is not that we will win all the battles but that one day he will crush the serpent and bring us into a world where we will never fail him because he has won this great victory and we will be in that original place the special place the special people with God is our king and nothing will take that away because the serpent is crushed we need to have that confidence now next Tuesday uh, evening if you'd like to come and join us we're going to talk about that uh, and these are the little kind of uh, discussion questions 
uh, that we're going to ask. Uh, cleverly, the same questions on both sides, so you can choose uh, which side of the sheet that you answer. Um, and just to make it more interesting, I've actually asked you to draw pictures um, of Exodus and uh, Genesis and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers and so on. So, <coughs> um, we can have fun with that on Tuesday. Well, you've got to do the homework first. But uh, that's what uh, you get to do. Now, first, let's pray that God will make this um, a real uh, growth spurt in our confidence in Him and in your own way, in your own quietness. Privately talk to God and say, God, help me to be one of your special people, one day in your special place, living under your king. Help me to have that picture as the model of my life, the way I want it to be. Ask God. And then after that, I will pray. And then after that, we'll have time for some questions uh, because we've covered a lot of ground and you may well have some. So let's handle them then. Let's first have one minute where you talk to God quietly, privately, and I'll keep quiet. Everyone keeps quiet. And then we'll pray together. So let me pray. Our Father, we do want to thank you for that kingdom that you gave us uh, a view of at the start of the Bible that you were able to achieve without any help from uh, any person. And by yourself, you brought a wonderful world and settled your special people in it to live under your rule and blessing. And we thank you that the story will end with you once more, without any help from anybody else, bringing your special people into your special place to live forever under your rule and blessing. And we pray, Lord, that you would please help us to understand how magnificent you are to be able to do that when we are people who fail you and who fall away. Please help us, Father, we pray, through this series to understand how great you are so that we might live in confidence and live in trust that what you say will open to us a life of blessing. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.